Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of the Best of the Left podcast. A little bit different than usual. I am calling in sick today. I think you can probably tell why. I have moved past the point of being able to tell what my voice sounds like, so I assume it's bad, but I can't hear well enough to uh, to get a real clear idea of what I sound like. So uh, I'm calling in sick. I'm deciding not to release the, uh, the the partially produced episode I've been working on. That'll come out next week. It's a good one, so get excited for that for next week. But for now, I have a bonus episode for you, not a rerun, as you may have been expecting. I have a bonus episode from a couple of weeks ago. There was the uh, the Joy of Tax episode discussing all of the benefits of high taxation and the government programs those taxes can fund. And this is the bonus episode that went along with that. And I think there's a lot of good stuff in there, including a bonus clip, but mostly a lot of my own commentary on the topic. And of course, I sound a lot better in the recording than I do right now. So without further ado, the Nordic theory of love. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening and supporting the show as always. Uh, Today's bonus episode may be a little different than usual, a little bit more talking. So if you like that, then uh, get excited. Uh, I do have a bonus clip for you, but I didn't even think I was going to. When when I sat down, I thought, like, I'm probably just going to play some voicemails and chat a bit. But I, I did find an extra clip. And what's strange about it is that it's not an extra clip like from my research for this show. So I'll I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, this show that I did, like the the reason why I didn't think I was going to have, you know, any bonus material is because I love the topic of taxing rich people and paying for excellent government programs so much that all of the content I have on those topics, I uh, very much hope to use in the future. So, you know, hey, maybe some of it is going to end up on the cutting room floor eventually. But for now, it, I, I think of it as all like pristine, uh, beautiful content <laughs> that uh, that could make up a future show. And and that's not what the bonus show is for. Uh, bonus show is for excellent content that I know I'm probably not going to come back around to. The topic of taxing rich people and paying for government programs uh, we're going to be talking about that a lot, I think, with this new Congress, with the presidential race heating up. Uh, the whole conversation is shifting, and and we're going to be a part of that. So, again, though, uh, or in addition, before I get to the bonus clip, I want to explain. So, you know, people who um, listen to the bonus shows and take part in the weekly polls. Um, there's a fair amount of crossover, I imagine, between those. So the poll that, uh, that caused this episode to come into existence actually said a lot more than the show ended up being. It was, you know, in defense of taxes and looking at the Green New Deal proposal and maybe Medicare for all, you know, like, uh, talking about the benefits of taxation and showing the positive programs it could end up funding. But as I said, I, I have a really hard time with it. I mean, in fact, the show ended up being longer than a normal show. That's how much I get excited about this topic. So I, I thought, look, we're going to have to split this up into multiple episodes. Let's just have an extended conversation about this. You know, not not necessarily all back to back to back, but l- first let's lay the groundwork. Let's talk about 
the potential beauty of high taxation, not just for the way that it helps smooth out uh, income and wealth inequality, but then the enormous social benefits that can come from high taxation and, you know, looking at Scandinavian countries and how they spend those high taxes. So I decided, okay, that's what today's episode will be about. And in the future, I will dive deep on things like the Green New Deal, uh, Medicare for All proposal, etc. So j- just to set expectations, that's how I think things should go, uh, and and that's that's my tentative plan so far. So you know, if you have strong feelings about that one way or another, let me know. Uh, that's the current theory I'm working with. Now, uh, to lead into the bonus clip I have for you today, as, as I said, this is not a regular clip that I found as part of my uh, research. This is a clip I found because I went looking for it specifically uh, based on this book I started reading. I just started reading The Nordic Theory of Everything, and it's great, but it sort of gave me a panic attack because what it does is uh, the author is from Finland, and she came to America like to visit, accidentally fell in love, uh, dated long distance for a couple of years, and then decided, okay, like I guess we're serious, let's make this happen. And she ended up moving to the United States for love, and uh, then had to integrate into our society. And so it's this really interesting perspective on what is American society like for someone who doesn't, who didn't grow up with this, who who doesn't see this as like not just the norm or the status quo, but like the inevitable, like this is just how life is. You know, she didn't come with that sort of bias. She came with a different bias of the way life is in Finland. And then she came here and was like, holy shit, everything is so much harder here. And her initial instinct was, it's only hard because I'm new. Like, I don't know how the system works. I, I, I don't have their social norms in, embedded in me. I'm having trouble doing simple things like signing up for a cell phone plan where they want to lock me into a two-year contract. Like, why would anyone be locked into a two-year contract? That's not how they do it back home. And But she would, like, get confused in just, like, simple, everyday corporations trying to fuck her over sort of things. The like, oh, you can get a, a, a deep discount for the first three months. Okay, great. And and then what do I pay after the three months? Like, I don't know. It, you, we can't tell you that yet. You have to call us three months from now, and we'll tell you what the price is then based on what the prices are at the time. But I don't know what those prices are going to be. So good luck. Like, that sort of a mindfuck to come from a different country where corporations just don't work that way. They aren't constantly trying to fuck people over. Um, was really stressful. And then, uh, and you know, and that's just like the consumer side. Then she was trying to pay her taxes. She was trying to get signed up for healthcare. And you can imagine how if those things were simpler, if we had single payer, first of all, but I mean, progressive, like we haven't even gotten to the point of talking about how unbelievably fucking complicated not just our tax system is, but the method of preparing our taxes and filing them each year like it's so complicated that there's an enormous uh, private industry that makes like millions or billions of dollars every year helping people prepare their taxes. And in other countries, it's so simple to prepare your taxes, you don't need that ind- industry to exist because everyone can do it on their own. So this author 
said she tried to do her American taxes on her own the first year and gave up and had to hire an accountant, which she had never had to do before. So she she, uh, describes all of these sort of like everyday American scenarios that caused her an enormous amount of stress, and it was giving me a panic attack (laughs) thinking about how stressful it is to be an American. And and, uh, so just in the first couple of chapters, she explains how she thought that it was all because she was new and un- unfamiliar and it was just the learning curve she was dealing with. But then, of course, inevitably, she went to some of her new American friends she had made and asked them, like, hey, could you like, w- could you either help or let me just express that, like, I'm having a tough time. Like, how how do you guys sign up for your health insurance and be sure that it covers what you want it to cover? And the responses she got on on everything, taxes, healthcare, signing up for a cell phone plan, whatever, all the responses were, oh, yeah, we don't know how any of that works. It's so complicated. We couldn't possibly figure it out. We just sign up and hope for the best. We hope that we are covered and for whatever we need. We hope that um, our cell phone plans work out. We hope our taxes get done right. But, you know, we don't really know. And we're super stressed out about it all the time, which made her feel better, the author feel better. Like, oh, okay, great. Like, it's not just me, but this is horrible. Like, why would anyone want to live this way? Why would anyone continue to support a a governmental system or, or an economic system that encourages this kind of behavior when it drives everyone crazy and causes everyone stress? So so she basically came at our society with fresh eyes. And, and called bullshit. That, that's basically what the book is. So um, I have a clip because I a uh, little pro tip for podcast listeners from a, a podcast researching professional. If, if you ever are interested in learning more about a book, uh, you can go to iTunes and search for an author's name. And anytime that author has been interviewed, they will come up no matter what show it was. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, I, I pull my content from a, a pool of sources, about 150 shows or more. But if I want to find someone specific, I can look up their name and and pull from any random source. So uh, that's what I did. And, and I, I found a good clip for you. So I, I wanted to hear a bit of a conversation with this author, uh, author of The Nordic Theory of Everything, if you want to go check it out from your local library, which I recommend. And and this clip is about The Nordic Theory of Love, which uh, all made me angry and caused me anxiety f- just for different reasons than those other topics. You offer a Nordic theory of love, which I think we need more of right now. We need some more love, right? So <laughs> we do. can you explain your Nordic theory of love? Yeah, so this is one of the things when I moved to the US and I was looking around and I was wondering why things are the way they are. And uh, so one of the things I was observing was just people's relationships. So children and their parents and uh, wives and husbands or people in a relationship. And to me, it sort of looked like, well, somehow American people seemed less independent in their relationships than in the Nordic countries. And um Pretty quickly, I realized that, well, the, why this is or, or why I was feeling like this was because in the U.S., so much of the uh, practicalities of life are run by the family, in a sense. So 
if a child wants to go to a university, then parents would probably have to pay, or that's the idea that parents have saved for college education and they pay for it. Or um, when parents get elderly, it's expected that the children take over a lot of the coordinating care and taking care and, and maybe even paying for some of it. And for couples, if one of you wants to stay on parental leave, and if you don't have, if your employer doesn't offer parental leave, so okay, so then it turns out that only one of you works and brings home the pay and the other one takes care of children. So in many ways, it seemed to me that American society kind of, in in a way, forces people into this fairly, what to me were old-fashioned relationships in which in family there's this sort of division of labor that that might force some to sacrifice something for the other or some people in the family have to be grateful to the other ones and it all made it seem like people were less independent and this was of course a little bit surprising for me to observe because I was thinking well Americans are supposed to be like the freest of all and you know I had always seen you um, watch American movies and everybody's always packing their moving U-Haul trucks and they're like moving to another city and starting a new life from zero. But that's not really what I was seeing. It seemed that people's fate, American children's fate was really tied to how much their family can help them or support them or do. And this, of course, seemed also the opposite of the American dream or the idea of equality of opportunity, that no matter what your background, you can make it on your own merits. And so I was thinking about this, but then when it really <laughs> to come to the Nordic theory of love, um, I ran into the Swedish academic, Lars Tregord, who uh, used to live in the United States for 30 years and now is back in Sweden. And he and a, a collaborator had written a book in Sweden, only in Swedish, unfortunately, so far, where they discussed similar questions in a more sort of academic manner than I do. And they had developed something they called the Swedish theory of love. And their point was that we always think that Nordic countries are these collectivist societies where everybody kind of sacrifices their individualism for the common good. And they were basically saying, no, it's the opposite. In fact, in Nordic countries, there's a strong sort of tradition and support for everybody's independence. And this also means independence in the family, because true love is not possible if people in that relationship are not independent and equal. So you have to be independent financially your future cannot depend on that one person that you're in a relationship with. If it does, then you can't be honest with your feelings and, and the relationships is, is burdened. And so their take on it was that, in fact, all the Nordic social policies, a lot of what they do is they give everybody this independence, that you can be on parental leave and still be paid. So you're not dependent on the other person's money or you can go to university and you don't have to pay. And it doesn't matter if your parents can pay. And all this sort of supports your ability to approach your life and be in relationships with people from a position of independence. It does sound counterintuitive in some ways, right? In it's... some ways, yes. And I know that Americans often, when you know, I talk about this, uh, I think the American fear often is that, well, but this breaks families apart. Like this is like the Soviet Union where the government is your husband. This is actually something that I think Ankulter said once when somebody was suggesting that we need, I don't know, better support for parental leaves or something. And, and so I think the American idea is very much that it's a good thing that families are sort of tied together with all kinds of uh, both financial and emotional ties, because that's what families do. And I think, of course, in Nordic countries, everybody loves family. I mean, this... Nordic theory of love doesn't mean that, oh, we don't want to be, <laughs> we don't want to 
not take care of our parents, for yeah, example. Of yeah, People take care of their parents and, and they still do. It just means that everybody should have the basics of life that they need to shape their own fate and not be dependent on goodwill of somebody close to them or, or just who happens to be if they're born into a family that that would decide everything. But people still love their families. And then if you look at all uh, studies that compare well-being of children in different countries or families, Nordic countries actually do very well, which sort of shows that this approach can actually make families stronger when people don't have to be so um, tied into these all kinds of a little bit problematic relationships and burdens. And mm. Yeah, I mean, essentially you're saying that... The system as it is in the States right now is creating a series of codependent relationships for individuals amongst their spouses, their family, uh, even their children when it comes to the education, everything like that. So it's all sort of one big <laughs> messy situation. Like you mentioned, paradoxically, you're saying a, a bigger government, I'm using that in air quotes, and I'll use a quote from your book, actually, you say, Americans are right that big government isn't the best way to solve problems. The secret of Nordic success is not big government, it's smart government. Yeah, exactly. I think we should look at, I think we have to really think about what the purpose of government is. And in the United States, often people think that there is no purpose, or that's the ideal, that it's best that there is no government and everybody takes care of their own things. But a lot of things, for example, healthcare or university education, they're very complicated, they're very expensive. And I definitely would argue that the way Nordic people arrange it, it saves everyone time, it saves everyone money, and it supports these very basic, very actually American values of opportunity for everyone, regardless of your background. And just to put a, a little bit more flesh on the bones of, of this conversation in the book, she, she talks about how she confronted American society and she, you know, would like come up against these, these weird sort of norms in America. Again, like going back to taxes, she's like, wh why would you get a tax benefit if you're married and filing jointly? Then if you're single or if you're both single and filing separately, like why would the U.S. government, which is supposed to be all about freedom and independence, have this weird – like she said that in Finland, that would be seen as meddling in private moral issues. Like why would you be encouraging marriage like that where you literally get tax benefits if you marry versus staying single? Like doesn't that seem fucked up on its face? And and so she talked about how, um, first of all, it seems really strange to create government policies like uh, married filing jointly on taxes. It, it would seem strange to be encouraging marriage so blatantly that way to, to uh, encourage – whatever cohabitation and, and all of those sorts of things and and this codependency this this uh um yeah just just the the dependence of people on one another and it gets talked about in that clip we just heard that like the the way families get tied together both not just emotionally familially um romantically whatever but also financially and that there end up, ends up being this codependence on people where uh, it actually, I think, toxifies that relationship. And this is seen as a huge 
gender and social justice issue for people who are thoughtful enough or, or ahead of the game enough to realize it, that um, it's a huge gender issue of um, financial dependency. Because, you know, okay, say you're married and everything's going fine, I, I guess it's okay to be dependent on each other financially, but when marriages start going wrong, especially when they start going wrong because there starts to be abuse or anything along those lines, and and you're in that sort of quintessential uh, traditional uh, scenario that the U.S. government sort of imagines that it's a man and woman are married, and when there starts to be abuse, of course, like not always, but the tendency is for the man to not only be the abuser, but also to be the source of financial stability for the couple. And so a woman who might otherwise pick up and leave immediately doesn't because of that financial dependency on her abuser. I mean, it could go the other way. It's it's not a strictly, uh, the, the gender dynamics are not strictly ingrained that way. That's just how it tends to be as, as is so often the case um, with gender dynamics and, and those sorts of things. But the idea that the government would create policies that go sort of goes out of its way to recreate those scenarios of financial dependency out of fear. I mean, like all I can think is Christian conservatism and using government to meddle in the family unit in a way that they think is morally right based on their interpretation of what God wants. Like that's all I can think of and that we're in some cases destroying people's lives because we are taking away their ability to be financially independent because, because we nudge people, we nudge people all the time. I mean, government policy, taxation, all of these things, they're nudges. We nudge people in certain directions. We nudge people to get married for health insurance. We nudge people to get married for tax benefits. And when we do that, we create these financial dependencies that maybe work out just fine and great, good for them. But when they don't work out fine, they can work out disastrously. And and, uh, and to move on, there's another topic in her book that got me really worked up. I maybe had heard this theory, but I'm not. I'm not sure that she she looked at uh, the, the health insurance system and and the way it's based on employers, you know, predominantly in the U.S. and the way critics of that system, like people like myself included, the way we usually frame that as problematic is. Uh, in the business interest sense, I've done this. I've said, like, why in the world would we be hamstringing our businesses by making them cover things like health insurance and pensions when we could do it more efficiently if we did it collectively as a nation? And then when we relieve that burden from businesses. Now, I mean, to be fair, that there's some strategy in framing it that way. In a very business-focused, business-friendly country, if you frame social benefits as business benefits, people are more likely to go along with them. But 
because I'm me and I'm susceptible to different arguments, what really got my, me riled up was when she looked at that exact same issue, but from the other side. She's like, look, I mean, sure, it, it's beneficial to businesses to let them not worry about health insurance and pensions and that sort of thing. But what about the relationship of the employee to the employer? And she got into how Americans work too much. We get we get less paid time off, but we use even less than we get. And she talked about how this this mentality of gotta work harder, gotta work longer, gotta be the first one in the office or the last one to leave, like that mentality of pushing, 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 showing yourself to be indispensable is completely foreign to Finland and, and other Scandinavian countries where people go on vacation for weeks at a time and it's not even looked down on at all. Like bosses encourage employees to go and do things like that because they they know that it's beneficial. But but she talked about specifically healthcare. Look at that from the employee's perspective. They're not just dependent on their job for their paycheck. They're dependent on their job for their health care. And, you know, and so sometimes their pension as well. And it, it creates this enormous power imbalance where if someone wanted, you know, things aren't going all that well at your job and you want to pick up and quit, you can't pick up and quit and go to just any other job. You can, if you're getting your health insurance through your company, you can only pick up and quit and go to another job that has the same or better benefits, or you're, you could be potentially really hurting yourself. And so it creates this, uh, I mean, there's already a power dynamic imbalance between employees and employers, but it's exacerbated in the U.S. because it's not just about money. It's about the benefits too. And the benefits are sometimes, I mean, depending on your family circumstances, your health circumstances, you like really cannot afford to let a job like that go if it's going to cause you to lose your health insurance. And, uh, and, and so it all plays into this, this American mentality of, of what a proper work ethic is, is supposed to be. And we can't even see it that way because it's so ingrained as normal that like, we just think like, Oh, I don't know. Like that's just America for you. We work hard. We play hard, except we don't really play that much because we never take time off, but we get ahead and we build companies like Google and Apple and whatever else. And we have, uh, multi-billionaires and like higher poverty rates than any other, uh, first world country. And we have terrible outcomes on our health and our, our, uh, longevity rates are going down. But I mean, what are you going to do? It's, that's just how we are. But like, it's not just how we are. That's how our society and culture molds us to be. And these terrible fucking policy ideas are a huge part of what molds us. But it's, you know, when you're inside, it's so hard to understand all of the factors that, that mold you, right? Cause like, you can't, uh, you know, it's the fish and water. You can't see every aspect. Like, I, the fish in water comes up a lot on this show and shows like this because that's what we're constantly doing. We're constantly saying, like, oh my God, guys, look around. We're wet. And, and that, that happens in all different kinds of, uh, different policies and, and different aspects of life. 
but we but we don't get all of it. Like I knew about the business friendly arguments about why we should have universal health care, and I knew like the patient benefits, why it would be better for everyone to have health care and a a baseline of care that goes to everyone without question, without paperwork, etc. I had not thought about the inverse of the business benefits, the employee benefits, and it sort of blew my mind and made me angry. So, yeah, I, um, as I said, first of all, I get really excited about this topic, which is why the show was, you know, an hour and 30 minutes long <laughs> and, um, and, and why I'm reading this book and why we're going to be tackling a lot of tax and spend issues. Uh, if you want to frame it that way, this, this next couple of years, because as I mean, it, it, it gave me a little hope. I, I hope it gave you a little bit of hope that the last clip from the main show, the guy talking about Viking economics, you know, he lives in the U S but he's, you know, sort of has a foot in, in each world, uh, Scandinavia to the U S that knowing the history of how Scandinavia did it and to know that it was at a time of great polarization and like a rise in right wing fanaticism at the time that, that caused them to make this shift. I mean, if that's not, if, if that's not hopeful in, in our current uh, dark period, then I, I don't know what is. Uh, as always, you can get in touch with me directly, j at bestofleft.com, or leave a voicemail at the number 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks for listening. Stay awesome.